Jackson, it's so great to see you. Um, so great to have many uh, family members visiting with us. Um, I love Christmas carols, and that went a lot quicker than what I thought. We wanted to honor your time today, try to keep this service to an hour, um, but that went by really quick. So we'll know next time to add more um, songs. So, um, but who likes long road trips? Uh, some of you might have taken a long road trip to get here. Um, it's great, maybe if you are uh, without kids, um, but if you have young kids on long road trips, that can get very challenging. In fact, in 2017, uh, we took a long road trip to Pennsylvania to celebrate Thanksgiving with um, Nikki's uh, family, her dad's family, her dad's side. Um, and so we had a 14-year-old, a 9-year-old, and a 7-year-old, and our whole family wouldn't fit in my car. And so we took my wife's uh, Honda CRV, which is a um, SUV. For those that don't know, it's a very small SUV. And so we had those three, um, not little kids, uh, but growing kids, teenagers and almost teenagers, squeezed into one back seat for 11 to 12 hours each way. On the way home, it was so miserable that I told Nikki, fine, you got it, the, the third row SUV, the larger SUV that you've been looking at, you're getting it. And so within a month, we had it because um, it was miserable. We, we realized that we were outgrowing that vehicle. It was great on gas for a while, um, but, but at some point when your family is growing, you have to grow with it. And that's why having large families can be so expensive, larger homes, larger vehicles. Um, and Nikki refuses. She says she is not a minivan mom. And so um, she has had to stick with the SUVs. Um, but some road trips, like that one, uh, can be nightmares. Uh, once again, especially if you have young children, um, especially uh, depending on what happens. I remember us taking a missions trip, our first missions trip to Baltimore. It took us 16 hours to get home. It took us three hours to get from Washington to Richmond because of the traffic, because we did a poor job of scheduling that trip, and we ended up coming home 4th of July weekend. And so we don't do that anymore. That was, um, that was a nightmare. And so many of you have experienced those kind of road trips where um, you've broken down, where things did not go as planned. Well, the events that surround Christmas, the very first Christmas when Christ was born, it involved a road trip. And so today, um, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to look at the first 16 verses there, Matthew chapter 2. If you have the YouVersion Bible app, I'm in the CSB. It'll be in your outline as well as on the screen so you can follow along with me. But Matthew 2 tells us this, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Christ would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. 
It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. After they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death, so that uh, what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. And so here we learn of this uh, road trip that the wise men took. It took them one to two years, according to Scripture, to find um, this child, this baby, Jesus, um, as they sat out to seek him and to find him. And so that in and of itself is a crazy road trip. In fact, um, I've been told by, I think it was Phil who said, you know, he's been in that, um, that, that kind of region and that kind of area where um, things seem like they're so far apart, but they're maybe like a 10 minute drive now. But in scripture, we see them and they seem like they might be a year or two years uh, travel. For the wise men, it was because the Bible says that as the, the star rose and started to lead them and guide them to where Jesus was, probably at his birth is when they started on this road trip. And so based on the timing of when uh, Herod had the children killed and things like that, we know that it was between one and two years that they are on this road traveling to find Jesus. This isn't a comfortable or a convenient road trip. This is one of those difficult road trips. They're on camels probably um, or some other um, animals such as that. They're traveling through difficult terrain. In fact, I tried to Google map this one time to see from the, the, the region in which many people believe that they came to worship him to where Jesus would have been and where they would have had this interaction with Herod. And it was very difficult terrain. It won't even give you a route on Google Maps or on Google Earth because of the terrain. You have to go around and, you have, and that's what took them so long. You, you couldn't just go over mountains. You have to go around mountains. You have to go in the places by which you could travel. There were no interstates or highways like we're used to. So this is a very difficult, this is a very hard, this is a very inconvenient trip for them. It, it required uh, a loss of time with their loved ones. It required personal resources to fund their trip. It also took them approximately four years of their life, not only to travel there, but to travel back home once they had gotten to Jesus. So, so why would they do this? Why would Jesus be um, worth their time and their effort and their sacrifices? You can write this down. People worship what they value and believe has worth. People worship what they value and believe has worth. Their whole trip was to worship Jesus. The whole point of their trip was to worship this newborn uh, prophetic Messiah that had come to be the king of the Jews. That is what worship is. Every one of us have been designed and created to worship. We all worship something. 
We worship what we ascribe value and worth to. And so whatever you see in your life as having value and worth, you worship it. You give it adoration. You elevate it. And that's essentially what um, idolatry is, if you've ever heard that terminology. It's placing anything and ascribing greater worth and greater value to something above God. And so you're making it an idol. You're making it an object of worship. And so the reason that these wise men traveled to worship this Jesus and to, to be there in his presence was because they saw him as having great value and worth. Look at verse 2 and then verses 7 through 11 again. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. Verse 7, then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked him the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So by faith, these men began on this one to two year, very difficult and inconvenient journey to be at the place where Jesus was for the sole purpose of worshiping him. When they saw the house and they saw the star resting over the place in which Jesus was, it says that they were overwhelmed with joy. That's what worship does. That thing that brings you joy, that thing that, 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 thing that overwhelms you with joy, that brings delight and contentment and satisfaction to your life, that's what you worship. And for these wise men, their whole travel was to get to Jesus so that they could worship him because he is what brought them joy. In fact, they could have, when they saw the star rise, they could have just worshiped the fact that that must be a sign that this Jesus, this Messiah had been born. And they could have just thanked God in that moment. But for them, this was personal. For, for them, this was a moment for them to uh, make God personal in their own life. It wasn't just God in heaven anymore. It wasn't just God um, in the distance and this God that we believe in. But now this is God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. If there's anything to travel and see, it would be this Jesus. Many of us have traveled um, maybe long distances to go to a, a special sporting uh, event or a special concert or something along those lines. And for us, a long trip might be a four-hour flight or you know a, a half-a-day drive or something like that. But this is the God of the universe. This is the Lord, the Savior, Jesus. He has been born. He has come to be among mankind. And so they take off and they travel on this road to be with him. In fact, as the Bible tells us, they were overwhelmed with joy. In Luke 2, joy is the emotion that the angel tells the shepherds that his good news would bring. Look at verse 10 of Luke 2. The angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news 
of great joy that will be for all the people. We looked at that last week. The, the reason the good news that the, the, the angel had come to deliver would b- bring great joy to mankind, to all people, was not because it was just news. In fact, I quit watching the news several years ago. I could care less about it. It's not even news. It's just commentary. It's arguing. It's yelling. My mental health has been so much better um, from turning it off. I will tune into certain places to find out what's going on, just to find out the facts of what's happening, but I don't need everybody else's opinion on this channel or that channel. It just drives me crazy, and um, it doesn't matter which way I lean politically, it's, it's just ridiculous. Um, if you are dealing with stress and anxiety, maybe start cutting out the uh, mainstream news, and that might start to help, because news doesn't often bring joy. News doesn't often bring happiness, and uh, especially in our time. It's always negative because negative sells. Negative gets people to tune in, especially if the negative is in your bent and in the, 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 the direction that you lean. And so you're going to tune in. You're going to click on things, the, the clickbait, and you're going to be affected by that. So we know all news is not good news, and we know all news doesn't bring joy. But this news brings joy overwhelming joy, not because it's just news and not just because it's about an event, but it's about who the news is about. In fact, verse 11 in Luke 2 says, today in the city of David, a savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. Jesus, the savior, the the Messiah, the Lord, was valued and had great worth to these men. That's why they sacrificed personal time with family. That's why they sacrificed personal relationships and resources. And that's why they gave up years of their life to find him. It it was personal for them. He wasn't just king of the Jews. He wasn't just Lord to this group. He was Lord to them. They wanted him to be their king and their Lord. And so they traveled this long distance to be there in his presence to worship him. Why? Because he had great value and great worth. He was worthy of their worship. He was worthy of their sacrifice. That They could have just taken their gifts and sent them through whatever service they had back then. Was it Bethlehem Postal Service or, you know, whatever their FedEx was? They could have just handed it off to someone and said, hey, are you headed to Bethlehem? Please make sure Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus get this. This is our gift to celebrate his birth. And they could have done that. They could have worshiped Jesus right where they were and given uh, thanksgiving to God for that. But they didn't. They made it personal because he was a personal Lord and King and Messiah to them. Jesus was also worth their gifts. The the Bible tells us they gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These were their very best gifts. They decided out of a heart of worship, out of a heart of allegiance, out of a heart of Um, adoration for Jesus, that he deserved their very best. And there's a couple of different theories as to why they gave these specific gifts. And some of you may have heard this before. Some of you may have an idea about this. But but there's two different theories. The first is this, that gold um, symbolizes uh, that God, it's a a wealthy gift given to kings. And so it was a gift given to him recognizing Jesus as king. Uh, frankincense, because he's God in flesh. 
It's a resin with this strong aroma used in incense burning when they would do ceremonial worships of gods. Myrrh, because he's the sacrificial lamb and he's the high priest. It's a spice used to prepare bodies for death as well that the uh, priest would use as they prepared to sacrifice um, for sin offerings. And so it was used both for the dead and it was also used for the priest as they made sacrifice of dead animals for sin. And so many believe that it was given gold, frankincense, and myrrh because he's God in the flesh, he's king, but also he is high priest and he's sacrificial lamb. That makes sense. There's another theory, and that is that um, the, the book of Daniel tells us that gold, frankincense, and myrrh were three of the resources and three of the things that the evil king Nebuchadnezzar stole from God's people and took and used for his own good and his own purpose to worship false gods. And so once again, we see an idea and a picture of worship. We see this person who rejected God and King Nebuchadnezzar taking the things of God and what God intended for his purpose and for his worship and using it in false worship, using it in idolatry, using it to ascribe value and worth to something that is false, something that is not um, worthy of worship like God is. And that could be your life today, that you are taking the thing that God has intended for his worship and for his glory, and you are using it and you are projecting it onto someone or something else, and you are ascribing value and worth to it when it does not, when it pales in comparison to Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the King, the breath that he has put in your lungs, the physical abilities, maybe the, the wisdom and the, the, the logic and the smarts that he has given you, the way that you are able to learn things. Maybe it's your um, personal uh, resources, it's your time, it's your skills, it's your talent, all of these things that he has given you so that you will use them for his glory and for his honor, and yet you use them and you execute them to worship something that will leave you wanting, something that will leave you empty, something that is fake and false. That's what Nebuchadnezzar did. And so many believe that in the second theory that these, the three wise men brought these um, as gifts, um, symbolizing that Jesus was here to restore what had been, uh, had been taken and destroyed by the enemy. And so they were given these to him, acknowledging Jesus as the true king, and that through his rule, the world would be restored. Everything taken by the enemy would be returned to his people through Jesus. Maybe it's both theories. Maybe these, these were the wise men. Maybe they understood the cultural historical context of what had happened with Babylon when they took God's people into captivity and they stole the wealth and the, the resources from their people. Maybe they understood that history. But maybe they also understood that these particular things had a, a, a specific purpose in the worship of God. And so therefore, we recognize that Jesus, the Lord and the Messiah, are these things. He is the sacrificial lamb. He's not just a baby. He is God in flesh. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is king. He's not just savior, but he is Lord and savior. He is king who demands and is worthy of our allegiance. See, because that's what Jesus does. He does restore. He does reconcile. He restores God's people and he reconciles them back to God. Romans 5, 8 through 11 tells us this, 
but God proves his own love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, or while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You can just stop right there for a second, because what that verse is opening and telling us is that in what you're about to hear, and what um, Jesus came to do, it is God's proving, it is his evidence, it is his revelation to you that he loves you. That, that God proves his own love for you. When, when it says us, you can personalize that. Today you can say, but God proves his own love for me. Maybe you're in here today and maybe you don't feel love. Maybe you feel abandoned. Maybe you feel rejected, especially in this Christmas season where there's so much brokenness and hurt. There's divorce and there's death and, and, and not everybody looks at the holiday season with joy and with celebration because of some earthly and physical um, opposition and challenges that they faced. And so today you could come into this place not feeling very loved, not feeling very welcomed or not wanted or whatever that might be. And so today, even in the message of Christmas, God proves his love to you. He proves his affection for you in that while you were sinners, while every one of us were sinners, while every one of us were out in the world rebelling and shaking our fist at God and, and maybe causing some of that problems, causing some of that pain, causing some of that brokenness, as we were sinning against God. And for those who may be visiting us today, this whole series, we've been talking about that. We've been talking about the rebellion of man and, and how man got kicked out of the garden and how man couldn't even be in the presence of God and, and how he even said in one place, like, if I even travel with my own people, I might destroy you because of your sin, because of your rebellion. And so while we participated in those things, while we look at Scripture and we see what God commands of us and demands of us and we pick and choose and we treat it like a buffet and we say, I'll do this, but I'm not going to do this because this is too hard and this is too inconvenient and this is not um, easy for me or I just don't want to do this. While we were rebellious, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While, while, he was, while, while we were out in the world doing our own thing, Christ died for us. While the soldiers were, were beating him and were mocking him and, and were, were crucifying him, Christ died for them. I, I always picture this ever since I learned this one verse in uh, growing up as a young child and then as a teenager, that, that um, the, the way I learned it was in the King, King James Version, which says, um, for God commendeth his love, and I don't know what commendeth is, and so they had to define that, and that's why I don't use that anymore, because people are like, what's commendeth? Um, commendeth is showed or proved, um, but for um, God commendeth his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And in my mind, I've always pictured almost being at the foot of the cross as Christ is dying and sitting there just participating in every manner of sin. Like everything we could think of that is sin, like mankind is at the foot of the cross participating in that sin in view of him, and yet he is proving his love to those sinners who are actively participating in that sin and rebellion against him while he's on the cross, proving to them, proving to every one of us that he loves us. Verse 9, how much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then now, much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? 
And not only that, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. See, for us as followers of Jesus, our reason for joy, our worship is the reconciliation that we have with God that Jesus provided through his life, his death, and his resurrection. See, it wasn't just important for Jesus to be born, God in flesh. I mean, he could have been born, God in flesh. He could have lived a perfect life on earth, and that would have done nothing for us. In fact, Adam and Eve, they had a perfect relationship with God in the garden. They walked with him. The Bible talks about God coming to be with them in the cool of the evening. And yet that would have done nothing for us had we been sinners, had we been lost in that sin and left in that sin. It required that God put and take on flesh so that he could live that perfect life that you and I could not live. And so it is important not only that he lived a perfect life, but then he went to the cross and he took the punishment and the payment for our sins. He he didn't just die, but he died for a purpose. He died as a perfect sacrificial lamb, and that was to pay for your rebellion. That was to prove to you God's love for you. That was while you were shaking your fist at him, he was showing you and revealing to you a love that you have never known. And yet that still wasn't good enough because he could have died like everybody else. He could have went to the grave and stayed there and we would still have no hope. But the hope of Christmas is not just that Jesus came, the Son of God, and put on flesh in the person of Jesus, that he lived the perfect life and that he died a criminal's death on the cross. But the miracle of Christmas is that then what we celebrate at Easter, that he resurrected from the dead so that you and I could have life because it is through that life that we are saved, the Bible says, from wrath. It is in his resurrection. It's in his second life, his new life, his resurrected life that you and I are promised that you and I can also have new life. That is the source of our joy. That is the source of our worship, that the Son of God would love us sinners, wicked, rotten sinners so much that he would do that for us, that he would endure that for us, that he wouldn't just look at us and go, I'm not going to earth for them. I'm not giving up my equality with God for them. I'm not going to be born as a baby and have to deal with the whole, you know, um, diaper rash and you know, colic and like, I mean, all those things that real babies deal with. Jesus was a baby in the flesh, the discomfort of a manger and not having a place to lay his head, having to to endure a, a king who wanted to murder him and to kill him from his birth. Like, like, I'm not going to go endure that. I'm not going to go endure a, a murderous death on a cross for Nick Carnes. For, for that sinner, for that murderer, for that drunkard, for that addict, for that, uh, you can go down the line, that person who has wounded you and hurt you, uh, because you wouldn't go to the cross for them. Why would Jesus go to the cross for them? And so he could have done that, yet he didn't. To prove his love to us, to reconcile us back to God, he went to the cross. He was born into flesh. 
He restores what the enemy destroyed. He reconciles what was broken. And for those who profess to be followers of Jesus, I wonder today in this Christmas message, in, on this day of Christmas, I wonder who or what are you worshiping? Who or what has the greatest value in your life? Because we see from a group of wise men that Jesus had such value and such worth in their life, men of great wealth, men of great prestige, that they traveled a year, two years, however long, just to be at the manger, a makeshift cradle or whatever the, the, the baby was in after um, that one to two years, that time period, wh whatever he was in, wherever he was, but to bow before him and to worship him, Jesus had that kind of value and that kind of worth to them. And I wonder, what has that value in your life? Who or what have you ascribed worth to? that you would say is worthy of my worship, is worthy of my life, is worthy of my sacrifice, is worthy of my relationships, my resources, my skills, or whatever that might be. Is it Jesus? Is it Jesus? Or do we just profess the name of Jesus? Do we just profess that we are Christians? Has He truly captured the value and the worth of our heart? Is He truly the, the desire and the great treasure and the great reward that we live for, that we would die for, that we would give our whole selves for, that as Romans 12, 1 tells us, that we would give our bodies as living sacrifices to. Because if so, if not, then Christmas has become of no value to us. Then Christmas is of, of no worth to us. It's just another holiday. It's just a day to give out gifts. It's just another day to gather with family. But there's no purpose in Christmas if Jesus is not uh, of great worth and of great value in our heart and in our life? Is Jesus your king? Do you obey him in all things because he's king? He is sovereign. Because if he says it, then that's what I'm, I'm uh, he has my heart's allegiance. Is he savior? Have you trusted in him for your personal, as your personal Savior, as that sacrificial lamb, as the one who can save you from the consequences of your sin, from the consequences of death, have you, or are you just relying on religion? I know the Bible, I've read the Bible, I go to church on Christmas and Easter, and on those special occasions, like if my grandchild is performing, or my niece or nephew, or whatever that might be, I'm there for that, and so you're trusting in religion, I give so much money to the church, and so God's got to be good with me. I've I got to be okay with Him. That's religion. Or have you truly trusted that He is the sufficient payment for your personal sins? Is He the Messiah to you? The, the wise men sacrifice these things, personal time, resources, their life to worship Jesus. And I just wonder today on Christmas not just the story that he was born, we've talked about that in this series, but, but today, the day that, that he was, uh, that we recognize that he was born, not on December 25th, that we chose that, but on the day of Christmas, on the day of his birth, where the shepherds came, the angels proclaimed that he was the Messiah, that he was king, do you declare the same thing? As the wise men came and knelt before this Jesus, this baby, 
to declare that he is the Messiah, he is the Lord, he is the Savior. Today, do you declare that in your own life and in your own heart? What if in 2023 you worship Jesus with the best of who you are and the best of what you have to offer in time, resources, and your whole life solely based on who Jesus is? Not anything else. Not your spouse, not your, not your available time, not, your, um, not anything that's comfortable or convenient to you, because those are the categories, those are the things that we often try to fit Jesus in. But what if we learn from the wise men, and we learn that Jesus is worthy of our sacrifice, that he's worthy of ascribing value to him. And so whatever it takes to live that worship out, to declare that worship, and to praise him, that's what I'm going to do, because he's my king. He's my Savior. He's my Messiah. And so what if in 2023 we um, design those things, we ascribe those things solely on who Jesus is? What if you allowed the example given to us by the wise men to guide your worship throughout the years, throughout the, the, the rest of the year, throughout 2023 and beyond? See, see, that's how we don't allow the message of Christmas and the truth of Christmas to go to waste in our life. Let this Christmas inspire you to worship Jesus, not only in spirit, but in truth. Let Christmas provoke you to re-engage in giving your whole self as a living sacrifice to Him. Beginning today, like give the gift to yourself, but also give yourself as a gift back to God who has saved you in Christ Jesus through his own life and determine that your level of praise, your level of service, your level of generosity and evangelism in sharing the faith and the good news of Jesus will be based according to who Jesus is. That's for those who follow Jesus. And then as I close before I pray, this is my challenge to you that maybe he's here and you are not a follower of Jesus. Maybe he's just been a religious figure to you. Maybe you've just acknowledged who he is, but you've been relying on religion or relying on yourself. If you're not a follower of Jesus, my question is this, who are you seeking? What are you seeking? What are you ascribing value and worth from your life to? You're designed to worship. That's how God created you. You will worship something. You, you will ascribe value and worth to something. In fact, that might look like money, materialism, pleasure, status. I mean, you can create your own list. It could be a multiple of those things. This is why Herod tried to kill baby Jesus and in the process destroyed the lives of all the young boys that were two and younger because Jesus, a little baby, was a threat to his worship, to the things that he valued and, his, and, and what he had given worth to, his power, his prestige, his own personal glory. And so it was because of this, it was because of the prophecy of what Jesus would be, that the government would be on his shoulders. And Herod is thinking that he's coming to establish an earthly kingdom. And so Jesus' own life was at risk from birth because of worship. And I wonder today, what are you seeking? What are you worshiping? What has captured the value and the worth of your heart? Jesus loves you and he desires to know you personally and intimately. Just as the wise men, just as the shepherds came 
and knelt before him and came to be with him personally. He wants to know you personally. He wants to save you. He wants to reconcile you. He wants to restore your life. But he also demands allegiance. He also demands that we make him king and Lord of our life. Because the reality is this, the money, the materialism, the, the, the pleasures, the, the, the things that we use to cope with, to, to numb ourselves and to escape the pains of our life, all of those things, the status, the prestige, the, the personal glory, all of that will leave you empty. All of that will leave you wanting more. It will not satisfy you and it will not bring you joy. But the wise men knew that Jesus brought joy. And that's why just by seeing the place in which he was residing, it brought them, it overwhelmed them with joy because Jesus was there. Jesus can fill you with such joy. It does not matter what you face in this life. It does not matter the challenges, the pain, the suffering. But in the midst of that, you can be content, you can be satisfied, and you can have joy despite the darkness and the brokenness. He brings satisfaction. Today, you too can be wise, just like the wise men, by making Jesus your personal king, your personal savior, declaring that he is the Lord of your life. It's not just saying some prayer so that you get a free ticket out of hell and you get to go to heaven. That's not what our relationship with God is about. And some of you, I fear that's, that's been your experience. I remember that day, I was scared. I didn't want to go to hell. And uh, I, didn't want to, you know, I didn't want God to be mad at me. I didn't want his wrath. And so I remember being in that service. Maybe it was a Christmas service or maybe it was an Easter service. And all the pastor said I had to do was say this prayer and then I would be good with God. And so I said that prayer. And I wonder if you said that prayer, if anything changed, did the allegiance of your heart change? Like, did Jesus become the great value and the worth of your heart and of your life? Did he become the great treasure and the great reward? Did, did all of a sudden, like, you want to be with God's people? All of a sudden, you want to know more about God? You want to have this intimate relationship with him? Or did it just go, you know what, I said a prayer, and, and I believe I'm going to heaven I did the right thing. I did what I'm supposed to do. And so I'm good. I checked off that box and that pastor said, I'm good. But nothing changed in your worship. Nothing changed in your life. See, it's not about that. It's not just about saying a prayer. It's about changing your allegiance. It's about declaring that you want Jesus to be Lord, that he is Messiah, that, that you're going to give your whole self to him, just as he gave his whole self to you. And that's why Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you got to take up your cross. You have to die to yourself because I'm going to be your king. I'm going to be your Lord. But I can tell you this, Jesus is king and Jesus is Lord brings you such joy and satisfaction and contentment that it's, it can't even be explained. But I know so many Christians that are in Christ and know Christ. And it does not matter what they have faced. Even in the darkest of days, they are at peace. They have contentment. They have satisfaction, not because of themselves and not because of religion, but because of Jesus. Today, the wisest decision you can make as these wise men made is to make Jesus king and to make him Lord. The Bible tells us 
With the heart, man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's not telling you just to say a prayer. It's saying with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. You believe that he is king. You believe that he died in your place. You believe he lived the perfect life you could not live. And you trust in that and that alone. And in that trust, you call out to him and you repent of your sins and you ask him to save you. And right where you're at today, you can have that conversation. You can have that, that, that you can say that prayer. You, you, I'm not going to lead you through a prayer that you follow through and be like, well, I said that word for word, I'm good. No, I want you to have a conversation with God if the Holy Spirit's leading you, if he's prompting you, if he's saying that's you, if he's wooing you and saying, I want you to be my child. I want you to worship me. I want you to abandon the world and the things that you've been relying on and trusting in, and I want your allegiance to me. If he's calling you today, if he's speaking to your heart, then answer. Then call out to him. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to give you instructions how we're going to close out the service, and then we will close out with one final song, but we have a video after this, so let's pray. God, we thank you for this Christmas season. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that he is more than just a savior, but we do thank you that he is savior. We thank you that he is Lord. We thank you that he is king. We thank you that one day he's going to return and he will establish his kingdom. And those who will reside and live in that kingdom in his presence will be his followers, will be your children made possible because of Jesus. Lord, I pray that no one here would miss out on that. I ask, Father, that your spirit would speak in a way that I can't to the hearts of those who are here or are tuning in online or will watch later. That, Lord, today would be the day that they don't just make Jesus Savior and they don't just say a religious prayer, but they make it personal. That they make a decision for themselves that they not only need Jesus, but they want Jesus. That they're not just going to call out to Jesus to save them, but they're going to worship Jesus imperfectly at best. But that is the desire of their heart. That is the pursuit of their life. So work now in the hearts of those who have heard the truth of your word. May we all be reminded that the purpose of Jesus is to worship him and to give him glory. The purpose of our life is to worship him and to give you glory. May we be found faithful in doing that. May your spirit empower us and lead us and guide us to do that very thing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.